Welcome to another edition of Leaders and Learners, where we know that the best leaders are lifetime learners. It's been a while since we've done a show, and now um, we are back for Mental Health Awareness Month. You know, that's very important to me. It is also um, Trauma Awareness Month. So we are going to be talking to an amazing woman today, and I'm going to give her the opportunity to tell her story. We all know that elevating stories and elevating your voice is incredibly important. And today we're going to get this month and these stories started off with um, Pastor Stephanie Lashley. Well, good afternoon. How are you? I am good today. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. So blessed to have you here. I'm super excited to have a pastor on my show. Um, I know. (laughs) You've got things to talk about. We're going to let the people in on your story and how Mental Health Awareness Month affects you. So without further ado, introduce the people to you, the work that you're doing, and how you got pastor behind your name. Okay. So I am Stephanie Lashley. As I said earlier, like I'm not big on titles, but I am a pastor. I'm an ordained pastor. Um, I'm from New Jersey. I am a Jersey girl all the way. I don't think I'll ever leave New Jersey, um, maybe for the winter, but never to fully move. Uh, let's see. I, I, you know, I have so much that I've been through in my life. Um, so I feel like sometimes I can really just about connect with a lot of uh, many people are a lot of people because I've gone through so many different things in life. Right. And like you said, we, we become leaders through learning experiences. Right. So I I feel like I've done that. Um, the most recent thing, since we're talking about trauma and, and we're upon mother's day, is the the biggest thing I think that I am overcoming in my life, I'm not gonna say overcome yet because I'm still overcoming it, was the loss of my child. He was 23 years old, he was my baby, my only boy, and I did lose him at 23 years old. He was actually targeted um, and you know, it, it was, uh, every death is traumatic, but it was, uh, he was targeted and and I have no problem sharing this because I know that there is a stigma when it comes to uh, death uh, uh, associated with a, with addiction or overdose. And my son was targeted. He was clean. I, I like to say this. He was clean for a year. He was, um, you know, he, he was into, uh, Percocet and, you know, and, uh, Xanax. He was uh, buying it in the streets instead of coming and saying, my need therapy, I need help. And he was coping with his issues that way. Um, but he was clean for a year. He had gotten his life together. Everything was going wonderful for him. He, uh, was planning to get married. He was living on his own. He had a good job. Things were going really well. He was about to open a music studio, um, cause he went to school for audio and engineering and he had a really rough day and somebody t- gave him a Percocet that was laced with fentanyl. 
And so we lost him that night. And, you know, that is a journey that I'm trying to overcome, but I don't think I will ever overcome that because I don't really believe that you ever get over losing someone that is tied to you that closely. So that's where I am right now in my life. But I have a lot of other things that I've gone through. I've been homeless. I've been divorced. My ex-husband was what we call in Jersey down low brothers. Mm. So I don't know, you know, have that that spans the country that, that, that saying, but, you know, I was married to him for 20 years. We had a family, we had a beautiful home, you know, the whole 2.5 kid thing, the dog, the picket fence, and he was living a whole alternate life. And, um, so I went through that. Like I said, I was homeless, you know, we struggled, but to God be the glory, he brought us out of that and we have become, I guess, through experience and through the overcoming process, you know, things are much better now. I am a serial entrepreneur. Um, I own several businesses. We own a boxing and martial arts gym. Uh, we own a real estate a brokerage firm because I am a real estate agent and I own the brokerage firm. We own a hair salon, which we just acquired. Um you know, and we're not random. These are all things that we have done throughout our life that we have grown into now being owners. Uh, we run a nonprofit called Ringside Rescue, Advocates for At-Risk Youth, and I am a pastor. Um, how I got to be a pastor? Well, the simple, re the simple answer to that is God called me to it. Um, I never thought that I would take on the title of pastor, but I've been working in that that realm or that position for probably a good 20 years. I've been in ministry for over 30, but you know, you become, you are what you are before you ever get the title. So finally, two years ago, God, I heard God saying, it's time, let's go. I need you to pastor these people. And I accepted the call. And so I've been pastoring and the name of our ministry is created for so much more ministries. So I, and I, and I, we are not, uh, we are non-denominational and we are in the word, but out of the box. Listen, so. there, there's a lot to unpack there, but I want to start with how did you go from homeless to serial entrepreneur? I want you to walk me through how you climbed out of that despair, because it's not the most motivating situation for people to be in. You don't wake up in the morning and you have your coffee and you get to sit outside and see the amazing view. Homelessness is something that can really drive depression and so many other types of mental illnesses, basically based on situations and circumstances that sometimes you feel like you have no control over. Most people are living one check away from homelessness. So with that being said, walk me through how you went from homeless or just not having so much to, I am going to make it happen for me and my family. So I think before I can even tell you how I got out is how I need to tell you how I got, how it happened, how we got homeless, how we became homeless. Right. So, um, after I, my husband, my first husband and I got divorced um, because of his situation and how he financially reacted to the divorce and didn't take care of us or his kids, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I, I, we struggled for years. 
we struggled because I was married to a man who didn't like, he could get a job, but he didn't like to keep a job. So we struggled for years. Um, you know, and after we got divorced, I lost our home and, uh, wound up, uh, getting a one bedroom apartment that I could barely afford. I was working two jobs, had two kids, you know, and I could barely afford it. He wasn't helping in any way, shape or form. He went on to live with, to live his life. Uh, you know, he didn't want the responsibility of a family anymore. He actually said that, you know, and so, uh, I, and I'm going to be honest with you after that, I met my now husband who is absolutely a godsend. Like he is everything I prayed for and more. And, uh, I met him and we started a, uh, what happened was he had had a gym in the past, a boxing and martial arts gym. And we met in a gym and, um, I always say he saved my life because I, at that time I was over a hundred, uh, 400 pounds and I met him and he helped me to lose about 200 pounds. And I always say he saved my life and he saved my kid's life because they needed a male mentor and he just, God just put us together and he connected us. So we, we were working and we built the business. We built the gym at that time was called ICAT. We built it up and we were in it about, um, I would say about five years. And then Sandy hit, uh, Superstorm Sandy. And when Superstorm Sandy hit, uh, we lost everything. We lost our gym. We lost you know, all of our clientele and we lost our income because that was our only income at that time was the gym because we both have an entrepreneurial spirit and we went from corporate jobs, jumped into being business owners. Um, so we lost everything at that point. And because we did not have the money to continue to pay for a place to live at that time, we wound up homeless. So we lost our home, we lost our gym, we lost all of that. And, you know, I, it was depressing. It was very depressing. But I think that because we were together and we are of like nature um, and we're, we're both really, we're fighters, we're natural fighters um, in the physical, we're fighters in the spiritual, we're fighters, you know, mentally and emotionally, we, we just somehow you know, try to look at the silver lining of everything, you know, and I have to be honest with you, if it had not been for God, we would not be where we are today. So we were homeless. And while we were homeless, we were still, um, we were still planning and strategizing and trying to figure out how we were going to build back up, how we were going to build this business back up. What were we going to do? Where were we going to live? And, you know, at that point we still had the building and we weren't paying the rent on the building for the business. Um, and we were going into, a, a where the, they were getting ready to, to shut us out of the actual gym. So in the interim time, we literally were sleeping on mats in the gym, on the floor of the gym. And we were sleeping there until we could figure out what our next move was. And honestly, um, you know, we, we, somehow we decided that we were going to sell everything that we had. And I'll be honest with you. I sold my engagement ring. We sold our wedding rings. We sold everything that we could think of to build some kind of a stash to find a way to get us a place to live so that we can continue with, um, 
you know, our business, our dream of this business, of having this business. And prior to meeting my husband, when I was with my ex-husband, I was an entrepreneur prior to that. I didn't have as many businesses, but that was also kind of tragic because my ex-husband really, you know, did a job on the business that I had and I lost that business as well. But so what we did was we just really just put our minds to the grind and tried to figure out how can we get this back going and how can we get this back started and get to where we are? Um, so again, if it had not been for the grace of God, we would not be here today, but we did find a way to, when I tell you we sold everything, we sold everything that we could possibly sell to, to try to amount, get a, a, you know, amass a certain amount of money so that we can move forward. Um, and then one of my husband's clients who is a millionaire, probably a billionaire, um, saw our situation and our plight. And he said, listen, um, once you guys get your apartment, let me know. And I will sew back into you guys because I love you. I love what you're doing. And the fact that we never really said anything about the fact they didn't, our people didn't even know we were homeless. And, um, he sewed into us and helped us to start, restart the gym in a whole nother location. So, you know, it was just a lot of holding on. It was a lot of holding on to faith. It truly was a lot of holding on to faith. But you were yeah. holding on to faith while you were still doing the work. Correct. Yes. Correct. Because faith without works is dead. Right. Say so that we had again. A, Say it again for the people in the back. Faith without works is dead. We had the faith, but God expects us to work. So we were still doing whatever we had to do. And when I say that, I mean, we were taking jobs that, you know, anything to make that money. Um, you know, we were, my, my husband is a retired uh, corrections officer. And um, we met him, we met a gentleman and the gentleman asked him, did he want to bounce at a nightclub? And he was like, not really, but we needed to do that. You know what I mean? So we were taking, we were doing whatever we could do, whatever job we could do. And we, you know, we deliver pizza, whatever we could do. We did it to try to get ourselves back out of that hole. Cause I, I mean, you know, trauma is caused by a lot of things. And, and, and you and I had spoke about the PS, uh, PTSD. You can have that from not being in war. Right. And you can like my ex-husband, I, we, when I was married to my ex-husband, we had, we had, we had a good life. We had a good life, but he chose to go in another direction. And we had a beautiful home, six bedrooms, four and a half bathrooms in a beautiful neighborhood. We lost everything. Cars. I lost my home to foreclosure, you know, because he just took off and decided he wanted to live another life. So we had to rebuild from all of that. And on top of that, I had to make sure that my kids understood. And I could not, me personally, I could not let my children not see that you can overcome these things. And, you know, I did it because I didn't ever want my children to give up on anything. I didn't want them to see a mother who could give up. You know, we are definitely our children's first teachers. Absolutely. We are their counselors. We are their doctors, their nurses, their pastors. Um, it's hugely important 
to acknowledge that we are the biggest influences in their life. So when people say things to you, especially with you knowing this and have experiencing it, when people say or talk to you about peer pressure or how outside influences can turn your child into someone you don't recognize, what is your comeback for that? You know, peer pressure is serious at any age, at any age. It's serious. And, you know, if your child is is uh, swayed in, a, in the wrong direction by peer pressure, you know, my reaction is it's, 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 it's natural for it to happen because even as adults, we can be swayed by peer pressure. We can be swayed into doing things um, that we wouldn't normally do in, in, in light of a certain situation. But so my first reaction would be, I understand and it's natural or it's, it's not natural. It's normal for that to happen because peer pressure is a real thing and it can really overtake you if you allow it. But I tell them, you know, you can draw your child back around with love, with kindness, sometimes tough love, but you know, a lot of times parents will say their first go-to, well, kick them out. But why would you kick a child? And this is just my opinion, okay? Why would you kick a child out knowing that they're already struggling to now let that overtake them without you being there? So I just always try to say to them, you know, engraft that child, love them. If Even if you have to give them tough love, love them and make sure that you have that covering over them as a parent, that covering over them as a protector, because a lot, and I, I just saw this, that people say that you, you know, parent until they're 18. And I don't, I don't agree with that. I think we parent till we die. You know, I, I believe that we are parents until we die. My mother was, my mother died at 90 and on her deathbed, the last thing she said was, are Stephanie's bills all paid? because she was that concerned about me. So I, I, I think that, you know, my advice would be just engraft them. My mom was 90 years old. I was, I was in my fifties and her, and the last breath she took, she was like, are your bills paid? I'm like, yes, my bills are paid. So talk to me about this. I do have friends more than one that has a grown up child that struggles with mental illness, they are no longer a minor, they're grown. So yeah. you have no more control, right? Correct. But legally, once they're legally. right, legally you have no control. And with mental illness, if you don't get help, you know it only gets worse. Right. What do you, what is your advice to an adult that has an adult living with them that has mental illness? and can tend to get a little out of control. So I can talk about this because my husband and I have a blended family. His youngest son has mental illness. He is bipolar um, and he has been very swayed by peer pressure. He um, at this moment is wanted in several states for felonies um, and he did live with us at one time. And um, you know, we had to be tough on him. Uh, we literally had to do a no trespass order against him. And we, and I have a restraining order against him because he has threatened my life. But the advice that I said to my husband is he's still your child. 
So you need to still talk to him, but be tough love with him. Because you can love a child with tough love because I firmly believe that no matter what age, we all need some kind of discipline. And we all need someone who is either praying for us or in our corner or trying to help us to get it right. So we have this situation in our family. And, you know, even though him and I do not uh, have that relationship, we did at one point, we had a relationship as a stepmother, stepson, mother, son, but the mental illness and the bipolarness got worse. So I turned, I wound up being the target. And um, I tell my husband all the time, don't stop talking to him. Because if you continue to talk to him and continue to lead him and guide him prayerfully, we he will go get the help that he needs eventually. And I'm going to be honest. And sometimes my prayers are, God, do whatever your will is, do it with this young man. If it is that he needs to, to be caught and, and go to jail, maybe he'll get the, the therapy and the medication and the help that he can get there. It, it's a hard pill to swallow when it's your child. No, at regardless what age, but you gotta keep some sort of loving, whether it's tough love or not. You know, I, I often talk about sometimes we just gotta be tough as parents, you know, and, and and if we have to say, I'm not doing this for you, even as an adult, you know, he always comes back, he's always asking for money, he's always asking for this, and he has and he has four kids. Four kids. And he just keeps making babies. And, you know, we just, you know, we're trying everything that we know in our arsenal to help him, but he won't go get help. He won't go get a therapy. He won't go to a doctor and see if he can get medication to help him. So we just, my husband keeps trying to guide him, guide him, guide him. But on the other end, you know, when the sheriff showed up at my house, we said, yes, he's in this town and this is his issues. Because there's got to be some way that this kid can get help. And he's 30 years old. So talk to me about when it gets physical. Because it's one thing to have bad behavior or stealing or just being um, hypersensitive. But talk to me about when it becomes physical because many times it does. Yes. So, um, you know, it was not an easy decision to put a restraining order on him. Uh, the reason that we did that is because he literally beat his girlfriend in front of our business, beat her up in front of the business. And my husband called me out of my office and said, come get this young lady. And I took her to the hospital and then we took her to the police station. And um, he was so angry with me that he threatened to kill me. Now, he would not become physical with his father because my husband's a, a boxer and a martial artist, and he's a retired uh, corrections officer, retired police defensive tactics instructor. So he would not become physical with him, but he was literally like stalking me and things of that nature. So uh, there was a propensity of him becoming physical. So I absolutely had to do that and put that restraining order on him. Did I want to do it? No, because he's a, he's our son. And I didn't want to do that. But when it does become physical, you still have to take action that you need to take to protect yourself. I firmly believe that. And, you know, they may not understand, but 
you can't let somebody uh, physically attack you or verbally attack you. Um, but they can't, when they become physical like that, you have to get someone to restrain them. I firmly believe that. So let's go back to your son. Let's talk about the passing of your son. Okay. I want you to take me to the moment you found out. Um, and what were, what were your initial thoughts? And then I'm going to share something with you. The moment I found out that he, okay. So what happened? We got a phone call uh, and the young lady on the other side of the phone was screaming, he's not breathing. And we drove to where he was because they lived in their own apartment. And when we got there, he was already pronounced dead. And I think that I just instantly became numb. I, 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 it, it's really a blur, but it, on my way driving to his apartment, I began to pray and um, I began to pray. And as I was praying, my initial prayer was, God, don't let him die. Cause we did not know what had transpired. So, uh, all I knew is that she was screaming. He wasn't breathing. So I, I initially just began to pray and ask God, please, God, don't take him from me. Don't let him die. And then somewhere in my prayer, my prayer changed to God, let your will be done. And that is, so the natural was Stephanie as a mother praying, don't let him die. And the, the shift was Stephanie as called of God, now praying, God, let your will be done. And when I got there and they said that he had passed, I just instantly became numb and just literally had no words. And, um, I'm, I, you know, I, I couldn't even deal with the young lady that was with him. And, and, and I just, all I said to the police was, can I please see my baby? And so at that point, you know, I, I think I was just out of body almost. I, I wasn't really functioning after they said that. And after I saw him, I was not functioning. I was a non-functioning being. I couldn't really think at that moment. And it was at late at night. They brought me home. I, I can tell you, I did not sleep for almost four days. I, I, I just was trying to process the fact that he was really gone. Um, and, and my mind literally, our, and my husband was playing tricks on us as we were driving from the scene early. It was early in that morning, probably around 5.30 a.m., 6. It was still dark out. And we were driving back to our home and we were driving down this very dark road. And there was a man, a, a young man, uh, same statute as my son, same build as my son, same hair as my son, walking down the middle of the road in our headlights. And I literally like just freaked out because it looked like him as if he was walking off to somewhere. And, um, you know, I made my husband stop the car and turn around because I really wasn't sure if my mind was playing games on me or if I was seeing him walk away or if it was really just a person. So at that moment, I was no longer, uh, I had no fluidity. I had no anything because I was still trying to process. 
And then that shifted too. After a couple days, like after the first three days, and everybody started talking about getting the services together because I am an administrator at, at I am an administrator. That's my nature. That's my that's my talent, my gift, right? I'm a, I have administrative gifts. I instantly went into being an administrator and just took over everything and planned everything from top to bottom because I had to have control over what was happening with my child because I didn't have control over his death or not allowing him to die. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Like I couldn't control him passing. So I had to now take control and have control over his services and what was going to happen next. So let me ask you this. Addiction runs in my family, not just one person close to me, but as a child, I've witnessed addiction take over people's lives, take over their decision-making, take over their responsibilities. I've witnessed that. And with that being said, there have been times where I've wondered what would happen if this person never made it back home or if the weekend ended with their partying, ending their life as a young person, because they never really taught us back then, this was like in the eighties, early nineties, that addiction was actually a mental health issue, right? They just taught us that it was just an issue and they party in and they can't stop and they like crack and whatever else that they're doing, drinking and driving. So as a child, knowing what kind of damage drugs and alcohol, drinking and driving can do, I always imagined um, what it would be like if my mom didn't come home or if my uncle didn't come home or we got that phone call. So as a parent, knowing that your son was dealing with addiction, was there ever times where you actually thought about what it would be like if he didn't come home or you got that phone call? Every night, every night, every night, I, I would, I would not sleep till he was in the house when he was out there partying and, and, you know, uh, getting high. And again, there's addiction drinking. He wasn't a big drinker. He was not a big drinker. He, he smoked weed. He did the Percocet. He did the, did the Xanax thing, but he, every night I, I did not, I did not sleep till he walked in that door. Once I heard him walk in that door, then I fell asleep. And this was a heaviness on me and a weight on me that was tearing me apart. And so many people don't understand. And you're right. Uh, you know what? We were not taught and I'm older than you. So we go back even farther. I mean, I have two cousins that I was close to that died from addiction. Um, you know, uh, it ran on his father's side. His father did drugs, uh, you know, uh, Again, on the down low, not anything that was recognizable, but it ran in his father's side of the family. And every night I worried about this kid and I did not rest. And it was tearing me apart. Like it was literally stressing me to a point of illness. And, um, you know, and I'll share this 21 days before he passed away, um, God told me to pray for my son for 21 days and to pray and to write everything down that I was praying as I was praying, write it down, write down the things that I was saying and the things that I was praying for, for 21 days. He told me pray for nothing else, but Tyler, but Tyler, his name was Tyler pray for nothing else, but that. And I thought 
I'm going to be honest with you. I thought God was saying to me, you know, oh, I'm going to deliver. And God did say, I'm going to deliver him. After you pray for these 21 days, I'm going to deliver him. And sometimes we don't understand that deliverance comes when they pass. Because some things we can, some things you might not get delivered from in your life, but you might get delivered from it once you pass because then God takes that all away. Now I'm a believer. Everybody doesn't believe that. And I know that's hard to understand, but you know, God is a deliverer to me. And when I prayed those things and I prayed for 21 days and I prayed, God, please deliver him, please deliver him. Let your will be done. Please deliver him from this because it wasn't that he was partying because, oh, it's fun to party. Right. Um, he was introduced to it by his father. And so his father felt like that was a bonding experience. So he was introduced to it by that. And because we went through so many things with my ex-husband and he was so wounded by that, plus other things that happened in his life, that was his go-to to make him feel better. So I always tell people, people, when people look down on people that have addiction, I, I, and this doesn't, it doesn't just bother me because my son, but you have to understand there's a deeper root to addiction than just, Hey, I want to go out and smoke a joint. Right. There's a deeper like a root. Cancer, right. right. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes cancer, you get the cancer diagnosis and it's, and it's fatal. And sometimes you get the cancer diagnosis and we all fight it together while this person goes through treatment. And we all come out better for it. Um, but it doesn't always end with a happy ending. So Correct. I totally applaud you for recognizing that it was beyond you. That's first of all. It was right. beyond you. It was bigger than you. It but what is your advice to parents that have children struggling with addiction right now? Continue to love them get them the help that they can get, like the real help. Don't not like, uh, not just like a, a 30 day program, get them the help that they need. There's programs out there that really do work. And I want to say this, I have spoken to so many mothers, uh, so many people that have dealt with addiction and that are overcomers and are clean for many, many years. Um, and they all, you know, and, and I've done a lot of reading and studying on it and, and addicts tend to relapse several times before they actually come fully out of it. But if we want, and, and, and we, like I said, we have to, for parents, you got to find what is the root. The root is not the addiction. The root is something that happened to make them go to that addiction. And, and again, addiction is a lot of things. You could be addicted to a lot of things that can hurt you. You can be addicted to food. You could be addicted to alcohol. You could be addicted to drugs. You could be addicted to cigarettes. You could be addicted to, to perversion. Bad men. You can be addicted to bad men. Right, to bad men. Absolutely. You could be addicted to bad men or bad women for the men that have been in that situation. And, and any of that can physically kill you. But you, in order for you to help your child, you got to find the root. What started this? What made them turn to that? And then you got to heal that pain first. You got to heal that pain before you can heal that addiction. 
you know, and, and I, I know that this is not like a, a, a ministry call or anything like that, but in the word of God, it says you have to take care of the natural man first before you can take care of the spiritual man. Mm. So, so if a man, so, so if a man about this, all right, so I just, a, I just want you to follow me real quick for people that are not currently in the church or don't have a church home or are skeptical about religion, but they might have a good heart. Right. What is your advice to them on healing? What ails them? Whether that be some past issue or even a current issue. What is your advice? And with your big heart and with your full spectrum understanding, what is your advice to people struggling with things they have a hard time getting past if they're not in the church? So let, let me say this first. I'm not about church, quote unquote, or about religion. I'm about relationship. And if they believe in God or Allah or Buddha or whoever they believe in as their higher power, right? They, they need to, uh, uh, you know, form a relationship, not a religion. So I'm not a religious. I know this sounds crazy because my title says pastor, but it's not about religion. It's about relationship. Okay. But my advice to you is if you're not, if you're skeptical about believing or if you're skeptical about God, or if you've been so uh, wounded or hurt or uh, have had a traumatic experience and are angry and feel like there is no God, you can still heal from whatever it is that has attached itself to you. What, and again, you need to find the root of the issue and you need to find somebody. I believe in therapy. I don't believe that the church can, I don't believe that church and just prayer can heal and everything. I don't, I, that's not, I know pastors are probably jumping out their seats and just going crazy with me <laughs> saying this, but I'm going to be honest. Prayer does change things, but I'm, I'm the kind of pastor that's going to tell you, you need therapy. You need to, to to go to a, a, a drug rehab. You need to go to whatever kind of rehab. You need to get professional help because that professional, they're, they're trained to help you to overcome these things. But again, it all goes back to whatever the root of that issue is. So if, you know, and, and a lot of people that do know me will tell you, she's not this holier than thou person. I'm a reality pastor. I see what's happening, really happening in the world. And I don't think that, you know, I don't know. I don't believe that you can shout and dance and holler over your issues. You cannot, you cannot do that. There is more to it than just coming to church on Sunday and okay, you're healed. No, life does not work like that. You might have a momentary uh, feeling of, of, uh, a weight lifted or a deliverance when you're in a, in a sanctuary or in a church, but that, that stuff is deep. When we deal with these things, those things are deep seated and deep rooted. And we need to get a professional help of some sort, professional help of some sort, whatever it is you're dealing with, you need to seek out the right people to help you. So even if you don't, if you don't, and I, listen, I, I firmly believe I, I love everybody. I don't care who you believe in, what you believe in. That's fine. And I never discuss politics or religion with people. 
Now, if you want to talk about God or your higher power, I'm with you all the way. But I'm a reality pastor, a reality pastor. I love that. You know, we got to deal with the issues at hand. When I went, when I was talking about how, you know, natural first and spiritual, you know, and I, again, I believe in the word of God, but the word of God tells me that if a man is hungry, you got to feed him first. You, you cannot, I, if you come to me and you're homeless and I tell you to sit in a church service and you know, you get the glad glads because of the music. Okay, that's all well and good, but at the end of the day, you're still homeless. So I need to help your homelessness first. Because you, we as human beings cannot move past the deeper issues, right? We can't, we can't get the healing we want until those natural needs are served. Yes. Yeah. So, so talk whatever. to me about talk to me about Mother's Day. It's coming up. And I want to know how you spend it. And I want to know how you're feeling about it. Because for Mother's Day, for me, I get a little anxious. You know, I'm a mother without a mother. And that's something. Um, but I, I, want, I want you to talk to me about what your Mother's Day looks like, especially since you have lost your son. So, okay. So I'll be honest with you. Uh, for the last week and about a half, I've been not myself because I know we're coming upon I'm on Mother's Day. And it's almost as if my body naturally reacts to the fact that this is a holiday that my child is not here. Now I, I do. I have my daughter, my, my daughter, um, and then I have my other, our, our other kids and our grandkids that are combined, you know, our blended family. And they're all wonderful and they all make sure that they call and they send gifts and all that good stuff. But uh, that hole is still there. You know, people often will say to, to, to mothers who have lost children, um, you know, well, you have other children. Yes, I do have other children. But and I often in, in the beginning, I would say to them, OK, but which one of yours would you give up? You know, which one would yours, would you allow somebody to take away from you? Would you allow somebody to take one of them? And so that hole is still there. So what we, we still gather together as a family on Mother's Day, you know, uh, we might go to the cemetery in the morning. We may go to the cemetery in the morning. And, uh, but it's not the same as it ever was. No holiday is ever the same. No birthday is ever the same. And you know what? It's also a mother without a mother. I don't have a mother. My mother passed away. And and I, I was very close to my mother. Extremely close. We talked three, four, five times a day. Just, hey, ma. We would, sometimes we would just be on the phone, be at work, and not even be talking to each other. Just be working, but knowing that she was on the other line. So for me... Um, Mother's Day has not been the same since she passed away. And she passed away in 2015. And then my son passed away in 2016. So, you know, I, I could rationalize my mother's death because she was 90 years old. And that's just the progression of life. So for me, I understood that she was 90, right? She was a vibrant 90, but at the last couple months, she got leukemia. So, uh, you know, and I miss her dearly, 
but I didn't even have the time to grieve her because I lost my son a year later. And in between that, after my mother died, my father died. So we had major loss within literally within a year spanned. So, you know, Mother's Day is never the same without your mother, ever. And I don't care if you're 90, Mother's Day will not be the same without your mother because you don't have a mother to celebrate now, right? Your mother's not there to celebrate her, right? Yeah. And then without a child, you're like, even though you're still a mother, you feel like there's something so missing from you. That other child is not there. Yep. So it's bittersweet. It, it's a it's bittersweet. Holidays are bittersweet. I still have my daughter. I still have my other kids. My my our blended family kids, right? And and I call them my kids, but I, for distinction, just but I still have all of them, right? Mm -hmm. Except my son. Except my youngest son. And you know, even our son that has the mental health issues, like he'll text and be like. Tell mom happy Mother's Day. And I'm like, you know, but that's what happens with mental illness. They don't really are, they don't, they're not aware of the bad stuff or they soon forget it. Yeah. Right. So, and then it, it's a cycle, it's a vicious cycle. So, you know, so I still have that, but there's still a huge hole in my soul from my, from my son not being here. And, you know, on Mother's Day, like you said, you're a mother without a mother. That's hard because you want to share that with her, right? You want to share that day with her, you know? So I get it. I, 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 do we ever get past it? No. no. I, don't believe we, I don't believe we ever get over losing someone. The journey will get stronger in the journey, but we'll, we'll never get over it. I want to ask you this. Um, I have two questions left for you. One is something that I've struggled with being able to answer for a very long time. When someone passes, do you think it's easier to deal with a sudden death or knowing that it's coming to be able to have those conversations that maybe you know you should or for it to just happen and then you get to deal with it? Because either way, I haven't recognized an opportunity for swift healing, you know, it, it never really comes, but I would like your opinion on that, especially since when you have notice, that means someone's suffering, right? And then when it's sudden, you, you're just stuck with wherever you were with them in that moment. So talk to me about that. So first, let me say this, that I believe that the grief, the amount of grief that you have when someone passes is, uh, uh, equated to the amount of love and the connection you had with that person, the heartstrings, right? The heartstrings. So for me, and this is personal for me, I, I don't think that I have the right answer to this question or the correct, you know, or the answer. But for me, I was prepared ahead of time for my mom because when she uh, she turned ninety in February, and we found out she had leukemia at the end of December. And she didn't want any of the surgeries or any of the treatments. So we knew that that was the ultimate diagnosis was going to be that she would pass away. Uh, was it easier losing her? No, it wasn't easier. Uh, I had her for 50 years of my life and wanted her for 50 more. 
but it wasn't easier. And the fact the loss wasn't the loss wasn't lighter or easier, but it was easier knowing that she was she she had a certain amount of time. So it gave us time to spend more time with her, to do more things with her, to show her how much we, you know, how much we love her and to be with her. Whereas my son, you know, the last thing I said to my, thank God, the last thing I said to my son was, I love you. And he said, I love you too, ma. You know, that was the last words we had with each other. And thank God those were the last words because I know mothers who have lost their children. And some of the last words were vicious. And, you know, especially uh, some of the moms that dealt with children who were addicted, right? Or, you know, so I, I don't have the answer. I wish I did. I wish I could say it's easier this way, but loss is loss. You know, now I will say this. I lost my sister many years before that to cancer. And we, uh, she, she prepared us. Mm. She called us. Uh, like two months before, and she knew she was getting ready to pass. And she said, listen, I want to, I want to be together. I want the family to be together. And this is what I want to happen. And she literally ran everything down to us. So we were prepared. So it was almost as if we lost her at that point, because we knew that that was the ultimate end, right? We knew that that's what was going to happen. So we had time to prepare ourselves for what was coming, mm -hmm. but you're never really prepared for loss. Right. There's always a hope that, you know, the doctors will find a way yep. or we get it or we get a miracle, right? Or we get a miracle. And right. I'll take one of those anytime, anytime, anytime. <laughs> so, so I don't listen. think there's, I don't think there's a solid answer. You are a ball of energy, even dealing with everything that you've dealt with. You are just, energy personified. You are giving off all the love, all the forgiveness, all the compassion. And for the people that are listening, tell them how they can keep up with you or connect with you and what else you have going on. So um, you can connect with me at scrolling across the bottom at our website. Um, I'm also on Facebook at Stephanie Lashley. I am on Instagram um, as well. Miss, Mrs. M-R-Z, Steph Lash. Um, you're welcome to reach out and connect with me anytime. I am, as you can tell, an open book and I have no problem. Uh, I, I'm there for you. I, I, this is what I've been called to help people in life and I love what I do. Um, so I'm here. Just you could reach out through any of those methods, and we and I will get back to you personally. Um, you know, it's not my secretary or my administrative assistant, it would be me. I would get back to you. And, um, what I have done with my son's death, and I really would, if we have a moment, just share this real quick. Birthed out of my son's death was an organization we call Moan Mothers of Angels Nearby. It's for mothers that have lost children, living children. Um, to anything. It does not matter. I always say it does not matter how your child died. It's just that you lost a child and they died. And so it doesn't really matter how the child died. But uh, I'm here. We have uh, we have an annual luncheon, a Mothers of Angel Day luncheon. We do grief gatherings uh, in person and we are starting uh, to break out on Zoom because more people from all over the country have been reaching out to me. Um, so we do have a Facebook page for that and it is called 
Moans on the Facebook page, M-O-A-N-S, Moans, Mothers of Angels Nearby. And uh, we are this year planning a healing retreat. It's open to anyone who wants to come. We are targeted for October. And it's not just, let me say this, it's not just, it's a, it's a healing retreat for those that are grieving because of what we went through with the pandemic. The, there will, there will be other things for other people, not people that just lost children, but people that have had loss and grief. I love that. Well, I appreciate you sharing your story with us. I appreciate all the positive energy that you can continue to give off because people struggle with this stuff. Um, and a lot of people that deal with it don't know how to reach out. They don't want to reach out. They don't want to talk about it. But I applaud you and I thank you for sharing your story with us. And I definitely hope that we can stay connected. And yes, if there's a way that we can support you, we definitely will. So thank you so much. And you guys thank go you. out, support, um, and just show some love and you know, follow her on Instagram and watch her story because it's one that is incredibly inspiring. Um, it's very heart-wrenching, but it's also pretty motivating to know for those that are dealing with it, might deal with it one day, or have been struggling dealing with it. Grief is, you know, it will take your mental health into a whole different place. You you're not sure what reality what reality is anymore. You know, you start seeing things or you might just get detached. So yes. connect with people that are going through it, have gone through it. Um, it. It never ends. You know, we're both here to let you know it's not something that just ends like, okay, it's been a week, it's been a month, it's been a year, five years. I'm not grieving anymore. It doesn't end. So you just find different ways to cope, different ways to pour into others and continue to be a living legacy for those um, that left you behind. So yes. thank you again. You guys follow her. Stay connected. You can always, always, always find me at Tanya McKenzie PR or Sand and Shores on all social media platforms. And until next time, we will have another amazing guest for Mental Health Month. Um, thank you for coming. Thank you for your time. We know you could be doing other things. And um, I'll see you soon. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Yes, ma'am.